One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It is Thursday evening. We are coming to you from Wimbledon and the skies are darkening and we're here late tonight. And the reason for that is because we have had a big shock. The first really big, groundbreaking, shaking shock of Wimbledon so far in 2015. And it is because Rafael Nadal is out. And he's been knocked out by an incredible performance from Dustin Brown of Germany. The man with the dreadlocks. The man who was walking around before the match in a Superman t-shirt. And he played like Superman as well. I'm joined myself, David Law, part of the Five Live commentary team, by Catherine Whitaker, who's part of the Live at Wimbledon team, and Simon Briggs, the tennis correspondent of The Telegraph. And let me remind you that we are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We're supported by BNP Paribas. And Simon, the place is in a bit of a shock, or is it? Uh, well, I... When I come in in the morning, they're always playing John Hurt's narration of, of last year's Wimbledon. I was thinking this morning, there hasn't been much happened in the first three days that would make John Hurt's narration for next year's programme because there hasn't been an awful lot of, of events, really. I mean, apart from some good British results, nothing on a macro scale. But I think he might get a mention for Dustin Brown beating Rafa, don't you? Absolutely. And it was the way that it happened as well. And it was so reminiscent particularly, I thought, Catherine, of last year when Nick Kyrgios knocked Rafa out, not only in terms of the spectacular nature of the hitting and the, the, the beautiful way that he was leaping around the place and knocking off follies, but it was the way he was just messing with Nadal's mind. It was, yes, but I think there was a significant difference. I mean, with Kyrgios, it was a completely fearless player with no baggage of previous experience to, to trouble him. For me, this was a... A slightly different performance for me. This was the most worrying thing about it was I, I saw Dustin Brown win the first set and then and then saw Nadal level at one set all and I thought hmm, this will probably go to five, but I, I it's going to be one of those performances where a seed gets taken to five sets. You know, Federer taken to five sets by Julian Benito a few years ago. One of those. You know, one of those that we've seen so many times down the years but you know the lower ranked player eventually just won't have what it takes to get over the edge and then I sort of wandered into the press room and chatted to a couple of other people and they said uh, after it was this was at the point that Dustin Brown was a breakup in the third and I was sort of naively still thinking oh, I think it'll go to five and they were saying do you know what no I think this is going to be over in four and for me that's the difference that it didn't even go to five that that Dustin Brown didn't have that that seed of doubt in his mind that you know I'm playing a top top player here and and maybe I won't be able to finish it off for me that was 
that was a significant difference. Simon, what we, we do have um, inside information in tomorrow's Telegraph, I can, I can exclusively reveal, because we spoke to Craig O'Shaughnessy after the match, the um, ATP analyst who's working for Dustin Brown, um, and, and they, he helped program his approach. So he was saying that it's a perfect matchup in a way, because Dustin likes to take your time away. He won't give you rally balls. He'll either hit it really soft, we saw uncountable drop shots, or he'll absolutely leather it. And he will never give you a rally, rally ball, so you never get any rhythm against him. It's absolutely perfect for, for taking on Rafa. Um, and it's something which uh, Brown, he's only now realising how far he can go with that game style, which was bloody good today. He's actually working for Dustin yeah, Brown. He's, he's working as an analyst. He's, he's known him for 15 years, and he was up there in the player box with him, with, with his, along with his coach. Fascinating insight, and yeah, we'll read about that in the Telegraph in the morning and on the website. So with that being said, would you suggest that this would have happened today with Rafael Nadal of a year ago or two years ago or three years ago? Is that what you're suggesting, that the matchup is just such that regardless of Rafael Nadal's form, he, this could have occurred regardless of his form? Well, Dustin beat him in Halle last year, so it is a bad matchup for him. And um, we did talk at the beginning of the week, didn't we, about uh, Rafa and Grass, and he hasn't been a contender really in terms of his performances here since 2011. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can go back to Rafa in, in his glory days, perhaps not. But I think the last two, three years, it's been, um, he's he lost to four straight opponents ranked outside the top 100 at Wimbledon. That's correct. And the, the other thing that strikes me, and we'll, we'll be talking about Nick Kyrgios a little bit later, and a, a talking point that we have today, which is, is this guy a brat or is he brilliant? We'll be talking about that here on the Tennis Podcast later. But reminded me watching that match today and how irritated that Nadal was becoming with the, the game style and, the, well, the antics almost of Dustin Brown. I mean, that's just the way Dustin Brown is. He was clearly irritated by it, and it reminded me of when Kyrgios beat Federer a few weeks ago. And when it was getting towards the tail end of that, I remember Federer overheard saying, do we, do we have a clown for this circus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, Craig again said that not only was it about taking time away from Rafa in the rallies, but between the points. I mean, he was absolutely flinging himself from side to side uh, to get into a position to serve. And that's not something that Rafa's going to enjoy very much. And then there were a couple of points where they were, they were both at the net so much. So there were always going to be a few of those sort of slightly um, confrontational moments when you hit the ball close to your opponent and suddenly there was one overhead flick that flew absolutely right past Rafa's nose, wasn't there? And to be fair to Brown, he wasn't actually looking at Rafi. I think he was almost playing it with his back to the net. But uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a, a pointy match in the sense that they were both at the net all the time because of those amazing drop shots. This situation Nadal finds himself in now, we've obviously had a number of months where he's not been performing to the level that we've become accustomed to. Does this add to that fear that maybe he's not going to get back to his best? Or is this just another another one of these at Wimbledon where maybe at Wimbledon, maybe he isn't going to be able to do it on grass again. I don't see him ever doing it on grass again. I do think that he can get over a lot of his wobbles this year. I mean, grass is just a bad matchup for him and particularly first week here. Um, but I wrote earlier this year about how his 
um, struggles have been reminiscent of, of the way Roger played in 2013, where he lost his nerve, he lost his confidence on big points, and he wasn't converting them. And goes, Dustin Brown just walking past us, by the way, you just overheard him there. Got a bit of accent there as he goes past with the man from the ATP. Um, so Roger, he lost his conversion ratio on the big points because he, he, he lost his faith. And Rafa has lost his faith this year. And Roger got it back. I don't see why Rafa can't get it back because he's a, a mental machine, but not on grass. Absolutely. Well, a shockwave moment for the tournament here with Rafael Nadal going out. And it really does open up that section of the draw now. Maybe even James Ward could end up profiting from all of this because James Ward today, I don't, I'm just before I ask uh, Catherine's thoughts on James Ward, just, just Quickly, Simon, what does this do for the newspaper tomorrow? Because obviously this is a big moment with uh, with Nadal going out. But James Ward getting into the third round is a huge moment in his career. Never done it before, never gone into the top 100 before, and he'll do that. So where, where do you think this will put things on the paper tomorrow? I haven't actually discussed it on a page-by-page -page level, but I'm pretty sure they will lead with Rafa on the front now. Uh, particularly as it was a later event and they always like to get to go with uh, with events that happened as soon as possible before the deadline closes uh, but yeah we, we actually we chatted to um, Ray Kelvin as well today so that was another uh, piece you can read tomorrow Ray, Ray Kelvin the founder of Ted Baker he sometimes introduces himself as Ted Baker a fashion designer who is supporting James uh, all around the world even traveling to events like Australian Open to see him and even hits with uh, James in practice because he was, he was a former junior tennis player of, of some repute. So he, he put a different spin on that match, a quite, quite entertaining interview. Great moment, wasn't it, for, for James Ward? Uh, Catherine, I, I was sort of following it from another commentary box. I was inside the court one commentary box all day commentating on Andy Murray's win, and goodness me, he looked good. And meanwhile, James Ward was struggling out there against Yuri Vesely. And I, I, I said in the predictions pre-match, and you can follow our predictions, the three of us going head-to-head -head every single day on the show court matches on the Telegraph website. And Catherine's got a score update that she'll give us in a little while. I said that it would be Vesely, I think, in five. And as it was going along, although he took two sets to love advantage, Ward, I, I was a little bit nervous for him. OK, well, seeing as you've set me up there, I feel it would be rude not to mention that I said James Ward in four. Uh, That's the end of the tennis <laughs> podcast for today. <laughs> yes, I did. And uh, it almost went perfectly to the script that I, that I sort of predicted. I think it's the, the perfect matchup for James Ward. A, a player ranked higher than him, but not so much higher that he wouldn't have gone into it believing that he could win that match with the crowd behind him, with, with essentially the same sort of atmosphere and moment that he experienced at the Davis Cup. And he said afterwards, didn't he, that the, the, the Davis Cup was everything for him. It, 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 he's thinking about it every moment that he's on the court. What happened there, particularly that one match against John Isner, it's sort of deeply indented in his psyche somehow. And I think, I think actually the next matchup he's got against uh, Vasek Pospisil is almost, I'm not, necessarily saying that I'm predicting James Ward to win that but I kind of think that's the perfect third round matchup for him as well it's a decent player a player that he's not expected to beat necessarily on paper but a player that he will go into it thinking I can beat him and I think that's key for James Ward I might have two British players Simon in the second week of Wimbledon how about that and they could play each other couldn't they I think uh, not in the last 16 it's in the quarter-final, yeah. I guess you probably would say that James would struggle to go beyond Monday, but he's certainly got a very good chance against Pospisil. In fact, um, 
Murray was saying as much during his press conference. It's a, it's an amazing draw that he's uh, benefited from here. But look, he's, he's had some shocking draws over the years. So it's about time that he had a bit of luck. And the great thing is that he's taken advantage of it. So he's really seized the chance that he's been given. Catherine Whittaker has just rustled up the draw out of nowhere and can tell us exactly what might happen. I can confirm that uh, Simon is right, that it, they could potentially meet in, uh, in the quarterfinal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. But uh, I think we should possibly not look that far because I think it would probably do a disservice to James Ward to look that far because he's... uh, He's done really well to get this far. If he reaches the fourth round, that will be incredible. And I think also, I think this run pretty much guarantees him direct entry to the US Open, which is huge for him, I think. If he can start getting consistent direct entry to slams, well, I think that would be a huge platform for him. And I I think that's really big. Catherine Whittaker doesn't want to look too far ahead. I will. Battle of Britain, everybody. Middle of next week. Look forward to it. Be fantastic. Well... The bit of a way to go still until then, of course. What else has happened today? Andy Murray, I mentioned him. Imperious, that was the Queen's form, wasn't it, right there, Simon? Yeah, although I've got to say I was a bit disappointed with Harsa. I actually think that Murray's two performances have been shaped more by his opponents than by him. I thought Kukushkin was magnificent on the first day and Murray did unbelievably well to keep that to a straight sets win. I thought Harsa was really awful first two sets. I mean, awful. Uh, he just didn't have any anything going in his game. I don't think he was feeling 
physically that great. He he didn't respond to the grass. Um, in the third set, a little bit more of a contra- contest, but Andy almost didn't really have to do much. Absolutely. Catherine, are you uh, happy enough with what you've seen from Andy Murray? And Roger Federer, how about him? Through the legs, tween a lob. Yeah. What? I'm glad you mentioned that because I just can't I can't stop watching it. It was that good. I shoehorned it into one of my updates on Live at Wimbledon because I just wanted the world to see it over and over again. It was that Mats Verlander's interpretation of it was that's too cheeky. He said he said he watched it in slow-mo to see to analyse in detail whether that was the only shot he could have played in that moment. And his conclusion was no, he could have not played the hot dog lob. Uh, but he chose to, and I think the slight wry smile on his face afterwards indicated uh, that that, that uh, he knew that was slightly cheeky. I think, I think Andy Murray. Yes, I I agree with Simon. Uh, Harsa was disappointing today. I said on yesterday's podcast, I thought it'd be an entertaining match, but Murray would win in three. It wasn't really an entertaining match unless you're completely entertained by Murray just being brilliant and dominant. But the way he's striking the ball is pretty brilliant. I would say Federer-wise, I mean, my, my brother is the biggest Federer fan in the world and he sort of sends me an assessment of what he, how he thinks Federer did at the end of each, he, each match. And he, uh, he wrote to me after the match today and said, I think he was in low-level God mode. OK, well, biggest fan in the world. I think there might be about 28,000 million people who would uh, dispute that. But, uh, yeah, he is a pretty big fan. Now, uh, other matches today that I've certainly seen, Petra Kvitova sailed through. The, I don't know what, what she's in a rush for. Every single match at the moment, she's averaging 40-minute matches at the moment, Simon Briggs. She looks pretty good. Well, that's excellent. I mean, we need Kvitova to play well because... Uh, unless Heather Watson can ambush Serena Williams tomorrow, which would be awesome, uh, we are looking, hopefully, at a bit of a Serena Williams final, and that would be a real occasion to look forward to. Certainly would. Now, on the subject of showmanship of Roger Federer and his through-the-legs lob tweener, showmanship seems to be a bit of a theme so far of this Wimbledon. We've obviously had Dustin Brown today. Nick Kyrgios has been creating some waves. A couple of straight sets wins, but he's been certainly causing one or two headlines of another kind as well because of his chat on the court, his arguments with the umpire. He's used a bit of fruity language. And I asked the question today, what do we think? Is he a brat? Is he brilliant? What do you think, Simon Briggs? Well, it's kind of both for me because as a, as a reporter, we need um, stories and he's always producing stories. Uh, as a player, I really enjoy watching him. As a bloke, I think he would annoy the hell out of me if I was just following as a fan. But as I say, it's like... Why? Oh, well, it's just the whole... Um, so he, he, he swears in his first match, and then he's asked about it, and he says, well, this game needs characters. And yes, we do need characters. So absolutely, from a reporting point of view, but it's a slightly kind of uh, arrogant uh, approach that he's he's bringing. And as a, as a fan, I suppose it would annoy me, but uh, I'm not in that position. Hold on a minute. Every fan I speak to said, oh, it's not the same as when Connors and Machina are around. Where are the characters in the sport now? Federer, Nadal, it's all too cosy. A guy comes along with a, a, a blonde streak through his hair. He's got two earrings in. He's having a chat with people. He's asking crowd members, where are you going? I'm playing here. You should st- stay in your seat. He's coming up with full-blooded forehand return winners off 120 mile an hour serves 
the guy is box office. Leave him alone. Let him get on with it. Let him be himself. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, the guy is box office. He's brilliant. I think he's wonderful for tennis. I basically think he's absolutely amazing in every respect. But that doesn't mean you can't pick faults with slight elements of what he's doing. And those slight elements could be entirely related to the fact that he's 20 years old and they will all be ironed out uh, in due course. But that doesn't mean we can't pick him up on slight elements. Look, I think he's fantastic. I think he's exactly what the the game needs I slightly resent your British use of the word term box office but you know we'll go with it it's like a bit it's an like, American one really it's a isn't bit American. it it's a bit like popcorn match but hey it probably applies in this circumstance he is he's utterly brilliant but uh, I put this to Mats Verlander on Live at Wimbledon earlier and he said, look, I think it's all fine. I think there is a slight irony and a slight hypocrisy in us all bemoaning the lack of characters in the sport. And then when one comes along and it also comes along with a little bit of controversy saying, hey, who's this brat coming along? Uh, but he said, look, there is a line. There is a line. And most of the time, Nick Kyrgios stays on the right side of the line. He said he's basically a good kid. But number one... There is uh, there's a category of language which he shouldn't be using, and number two, he's he put a distinct dif- difference which I'd agree with between the sort of hey you know uh, indicating to the crowd where are you going I'm still playing I think that's brilliant but the uh, the abuse or certainly um, dissent towards the umpires and the um, those in charge I think that's on a different side of the line but. I do basically think he's a good kid, and I think, well, I mean, that sounds patronising. He's 20 years old, I suppose not quite a kid. You, you are getting on a bit now, aren't I'm, you, compared to I'm, him? I'm paraphrasing Mats Verlander, and for Mats, it's entirely appropriate to call him a kid because he's just a little bit older than me. Basically, think he's a good kid, and most of that probably will be ironed out in due course. And as I've said with a number of people, that sort of attitude is a lot easier to get away with when you're winning and when you're playing brilliant tennis, which he is right now. Let's find out what you lot think. Uh, Shazia Ilyas says, I'm an Aussie and find him extremely disrespectful and egotistical. He needs to take humility and grace lessons from Rafa and Federer. Federer, Rafa's forehand, says, character? No, just completely obnoxious. Maru says, enjoy what? I don't find 20-year-olds like this very fascinating. On the other hand, though, Ron Walker says, give it a few years. He could be the only interesting one left. We should be celebrating him. Ali says, can't wait for him. Kakanakis, Sock and Chorich to get to the top of the game. It won't be boring with those four around. And Ewan McQueen says, he's a breath of fresh air. He plays outrageous winners. You never know what you're going to get. He's a great character. And Matt says, he's both. He's a breath of fresh air with brattish tendencies, but it's pretty compelling, entertaining as a combination. And Tommy finally says, I don't feel like he's done anything out of order. But as John McEnroe says... He has to back it up with great tennis. I'd agree with both of those last tweets. He's probably everything that everybody said in all of those tweets. He's all of those things. He's disrespectful. He's egotistical. I don't think there's anybody in tennis that is denying that Nick Kyrgios has a, an ego the size of Russia. But, I mean, but that's kind of okay. So brilliant. Like, celebrate difference, Catherine Whitaker. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, sort of celebrate difference is one of those wishy-washy things that people no, say it isn't. It it's not really gr- mean anything. No, it I isn't, mean, because, because he's different to everybody else, and he's fun different, and what's everybody's problem? Let him get on with it. No, but not all difference is good, but I do think this difference is good. Simon Briggs, sort this out. Well, I think, can't we say that he's annoying and that's what's good about him? I mean, wasn't Connors quite annoying? I mean, that's what we liked about him. He, he was a villain. So we can kind of combine it all and roll it up into one 
kind of uh, divisive and, and, and slightly off-putting character, but who is actually making us enjoy tennis more. Yeah, I'm annoying and everybody likes me. Uh, no, that doesn't seem to have got a, an agreement from anybody. Now, just very quickly, let's look ahead to tomorrow. What have we got on the order of play, Catherine Whittaker? Uh, we've got well, 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 well. First on centre court, Grigor Dimitrov against Richard Gasquet. Well, that's exciting. Well, we're not giving predictions right now. We've no. got to consider them, the three of us, and we'll put them on the Telegraph website. Okay, following that, Novak Djokovic against Bernard. Wow, what an order of play on centre court. Grigor Dimitrov, Richard Gasquet, followed by Novak Djokovic against Bernard Tomic and Serena Williams against Heather Watson. Oh, it's all going to happen. Simon Briggs, quickly, Heather Watson, got a chance? Yeah, I'd like to think so, but I don't really see it. Played well against Handachova. I mean, that first match is, is a, a glorious a festival of single-handed backhands, isn't it? So it's, it's going to be romantic. The yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and on court one, what we got there? Stan Vavrinka against Fernanda Vadaska, then what? Marisha Arpova, Irina Camelia Begu, and then Marin Cilic against John Isner. Wow, not a lot of rallies in that one, I would say. And for all you Nick Kyrgios fans... He's up against Milos Raonic on court number two, first up. I think that says a lot about the schedule tomorrow, that Milos Raonic against Nick Kyrgios is on court number two. I mean, I can't necessarily question that decision um, because of how many other fantastic matches there, there are, but amazing to see in the third round, Nick Kyrgios, Milos Raonic on court two. Sure is. I just like the way they keep on putting him first on because he's a bloke who admits he well, he prefers to sleep till noon. I don't know. Maybe the schedulers are quite annoyed by Nick Kyrgios as well. He's, he's, he's got things to do before the matches, hasn't he? Certainly has. Catherine, Simon, it's been lovely to talk to you. And my word, it's getting dark out here now at Wimbledon. It's night time, but it's been another fantastic day on the first Thursday. We'll be back with more tomorrow. We're brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Don't forget, you can go and see our predictions and all the reports and pieces that Simon has put together on the Telegraph website. We are supported by BNP Paribas, the bank for a changing world. Go to wearetennis.com loads of stuff on there. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Listen to us every single day. Tell everybody you know. Why wouldn't you? It's a tennis podcast. Your tennis fans. Enjoy it. And we'll speak to you tomorrow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.